0: Welcome to Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. That's right, the podcast has a new name now. Originally it was Anthony T's Horror Show, but now it's become Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. Now, the reason I wanted to change and add wrestling to my podcast because the way I've been seeing the horror landscape the last couple of months really doesn't give me... Hope of a lot of independent horror films or good quality independent horror films coming out in the next couple of months because, literally, with the pandemic and everything, not a lot of people have been shooting films. So, I had to really think outside the box here because, literally, I want to keep this podcast going. But if it just turns into me just talking about horror for one hour, I'm gonna feel bored. And it's just going to feel just redundant. Because literally there hasn't been many films coming out. So I wanted to change things up with the podcast. Because quite frankly there hasn't been many independent horror films this year. That have grabbed my attention. And instead of just Trying to struggle to come up with content every episode. I figured I'd add wrestling to the thing. Because I love it a lot. I'll explain more next segment on why I love wrestling. But the way I feel going forward with my podcast is to go outside the box. Like my podcast right now is kind of outside the box. Because literally it's like an hour podcast. With just me talking for most of it. So I decided to continue to go outside the box and add wrestling to it. So you'll probably get more like 50-50. It'll keep the podcast going, obviously. Plus, I will have more fun doing it. And at the end of the day, when it comes to me wanting to podcast, I have to have some fun doing this. Because if I'm just doing podcasts where I don't feel like I'm not having any fun, then I'm one of those people that can get very disinterested in a hurry. But I really do want to keep this podcast going. So I decided to add wrestling to my podcast. But this podcast will still have interviews from time to time with stars from indie horror films or horror guests. But with the wrestling thing, I can add more of a selection of guests to my podcast So maybe include indie wrestling promoters promoting the shows. And anything else happening outside the world of independent wrestling. But I will always try to keep the interviews to independent related stuff. Whether it's independent horror or independent wrestling. I'm always going to try to keep it to that. Unless something big comes along. It will be the same format when it goes to interviews like the previous interviews on the show. Now the news segment's gonna change a little bit as I will still be covering horror news what happens in the world of horror. Now I will also be covering wrestling news in the world of wrestling. Meaning going over results from big pay per views which I'll do shortly in the news and other news in the world of wrestling. With that this Kick off with the news. We'll start off with horror news. As yes, one of my favorite topics on the podcast is back on the podcast. You know, HBO Max. Now you all know Godzilla vs. Kong is on HBO Max now, which you're truly will be reviewing later in the podcast. Forgot to mention it in the opening. But that's okay, because we're now talking about HBO Max. So I'll get to Godzilla vs. Kong later on. But, this is a new story that came out according to Dread Central that WB still hasn't decided if the new version of Dune will debut on HBO Max. I thought it was a formality with Godzilla vs. Kong that this would end up on HBO Max too. But maybe there is hope that this will be a theater-only release. That would be nice. By October, I would think a lot of the pandemic would be starting to wind down. So, that would be interesting to see if Dune just ends up in theaters. That would be nice. But knowing WB, Warner Brothers, they want to get this thing on HBO Max. The same day as every other 2021 release is ending up besides theaters. There is also more HBO Max news because it looks like they're already planning for 2022 as they recently struck a deal with Regal Cinemas to release their films at theaters. They will be releasing all the 2021 films the same day that they release on HBO Max. Then starting in 2022, Regal Cinema's parent company, Cineworld, will have a 45-day exclusive window to release Warner Brothers films at Regal Cinema's before it hits HBO Max. Meaning the studio will release the film theatrically first, then 45 days later, they will be also releasing it on HBO Max in 2022. Now, this is like the same deal that Paramount did recently with their films, as they will be putting their films on their own streaming service, Paramount Plus. So, this thing will be starting very soon, actually. The first film to be landing on Paramount Plus direct from theaters is A Quiet Place Part 2. A Quiet Place Part 2 is slated to hit theaters in May. Then, after 45 days, it will be on Paramount Plus. Meaning, there'll be like a 45-day window for theaters... Then it goes on to the streaming service. I don't know what to think about this, seriously. Because I could just wait an extra 45 days and just see it with the streaming service. I think it should be a 90-day window, quite frankly. But then again, you don't want to hurt home media sales neither. So I don't know what's going on with The studio's opting for a 45-day theatrical window before it hits streaming. First, goes into theaters. Then, 45 days later, ends up on their streaming service. What's next? Universal adopting that same model? Because I can see Universal now doing that. Because they have their own streaming service, Peacock. So, it's taking... The value of going to the theater away from me. Seriously. Because I can just wait another 45 days if it's a film that I'm on the fence on. If it's something I really want to see, I'll go right to the theater and see it. But this 45-day window, I don't know. I don't like it. I really don't like a 45-day window. I'm being serious. So expect a lot of horror movies to end up on streaming services very quickly as both... HBO Max is throwing their films on right now, day of theater release, until the end of 2021. And now you got Paramount Plus adding their films 45 days after their theatrical release. That is probably going to kill the second-run theater. Because why go to the theater to see us on a second run when you can see it at home for one price a month and get all this A massive content. Another reason why I am not a fan of theatrical films. Popping up on streaming before it's home media release. Let's move on to wrestling news. WWE released a lot of wrestlers this past week. As they released 10 wrestlers as of this recording. The biggest names that were released were Samoa Joe. Who I thought was very... Criminally Unused, Peyton Royce, and Billy Kay, they were part of the Iconics before WWE broke them up for no apparent reason. Mickie James, who was a five-time women's champion and a one-time Divas champion and has been with the company for over 13 years. In her two runs with the company. Others that were released included Tucker. who Used to be in a tag team called Heavy Machinery. Kalisto. That's a very talented high flyer. Bo Dallas, Wesley Blake, and Chelsea Green. And Mojo Rawley were all let go by the company. I just don't get WWE. They had Samoa Joe. Who was great in Ring of Honor. Great in Impact Wrestling was given nothing to do with WWE, except be a commentator, which she did well at. And Billy K is just mind-boggling because she was just on the WrestleMania card this past week. I don't get WWE, seriously. But I'm going to save it for another time because it's a long rant that needs to be talked about here. So I'll just move on to WrestleMania 37 Night 1. Or as I dub it, Russell Rainier, Don't blame me. Michael Cole said that during the rain delay. But I'll go over results real quick and give you my thoughts on night one. Before I go into night two. Well, night one was the best of the two night show. Night one started off with Bobby Lashley defeating Drew McIntyre in a very good match. In the tag team turmoil match, Tamina and Natalia... Defeated the Riot Squad, Camilla and Billy Kay, Lana and Naomi, and Dana Brooks and Mandy Rose to become the number one contenders to the women's tag team titles, which happened on night two. AJ Styles and Amosus became Raw tag team champions as they defeated Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. The New Day Cesaro beat. Seth Rollins in a very good match that people should check out. As that was one of the three matches that really stood out on Night 1. The Steel Cage match. Braun Strowman defeated Shane McMahon. Bad Bunny and Damian Priest defeated The Miz and John Morrison. And Night 1 ended with Bianca Belair beating Sasha Banks to become the SmackDown Women's Champion. Night 1 was a great show. It had three really good matches. Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre. That was a great opening match. Cesaro versus Seth Rollins. Lived up to what I thought it was going to be. A very good match. And the main event. Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks. Was also a very good match. And it was a main event worthy match. It's definitely a match people should check out. As it's probably the best women's match. That I've seen in WWE. Overall... Night one was a very good show people should check out as it all had really one bad match and was the tag team turmoil match but everything else on that card was good. It was the better of the two nights as you'll see on night two. As night two of WrestleMania 37 started off very badly. It was bad. It opened with Randy Orton defeating The Fiend, Bray Wyatt. Now, this was a horribly booked match. And the fact that the storyline doesn't make sense with Randy Orton winning, that made no sense. The fact that it took Randy Orton to hit one RKO to defeat The Fiend is so dumb, so stupid, it kills The Fiend character a bit. I don't get WWE. Every time they have something really hot, they always like to throw cold water over it. Every it seems like it happens to everyone who starts to get over in this company. It's ridiculous. Again, I will say that for my WWE rant because I will be having a WWE rant on why this company really sucks. In my opinion. If you want proof, see the roar after Wrestlemania. As they surely displayed that wins don't matter in that company. Enough of that. Another problem I had with Night 2 was the next match. As Nia Jax and Shayla Bainser retained their titles over Tamina and Natalia. That match felt like it went on forever. And it was like the second longest match on this card. Clearly, they probably went over the allotted time they had for the match. It's like, why is that getting more time than the next match? Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn. Because that tag team match took over 14 minutes. The Kevin Owens-Sammy Zayn match only had like nine minutes. I can h- understand having that long of a match if there's a clear storyline going on here. There was literally hardly any storyline going into the women's tag team match. But they get more time over the Royal Women's Championship match. Granted, that was only like a two, three week build, but that... Is kind of more important than the women tag team titles. Because WWE doesn't make the women's tag division a priority in that company. Clearly because a lot of these teams are just thrown together. They had a great tag team in the Iconics. And they broke them up. Now you just have all these random teams. That's a problem with WWE's women's tag team division. But I'm going to move on. Next match was Kevin Owens beating Sami Zayn. It was a very good match for the nine minutes it had. Plus, you got Kevin Owens hitting the stunner on Logan Paul. The WWE United States Championship changed hands as Sheamus defeated Riddle. And surprisingly, a very good match. I enjoyed that one a lot. The WWE Intercontinental Championship... Changed hands as Apollo Crews defeated Biggie with the help of Daba Cato, who interfered in the match as the match was no disqualifications. Then the WWE Royal Women's Championship changed hands as Rhea Ripley defeated Asuka in a good match. Then the main event was just awesome Roman Reigns defeated Edge and Daniel Bryan pinning them both, that was a WrestleMania-worthy match, as I think all three wrestlers really delivered in the match, and it's hard to say that Roman Reigns turned in a very good performance in that match, as I am one of those Roman Reigns haters, but I have to give him credit when he does something good. And he was very good in that match. Alongside Edge and Daniel Bryan, who are always usually money in the ring. It was a great way to end the Tonight WrestleMania event. Would I like to see that again next year? Yes, I would, actually. Because I don't like 10 million matches on one card. Overall, Night 2 was a good show, but the first two matches really hurt my enjoyment of this card. As I really did not want to see The Fiend being treated like that. One RKO and he's done. When this guy's supposed to kick out of almost everything. In the women's tag match, going way too long. Besides those two matches, everything else was a solid COD. Overall, I prefer Night 1 over Night 2. Two as there was a lot of good wrestling that weekend. Also some other notes from WrestleMania weekend. John Moxley appeared at Ricky Shane Page Spring Break where he confronted the new game changer wrestling champion Nick Gage who defeated Ricky Shane Page in a very violent main event. Moxley hit the Paradigm Shift to Nick Gage. Pretty much setting up probably the biggest death match ever. Nick Gage versus John Moxley. You know that's probably going to be the biggest death match ever. Because Nick Gage is a death match legend. John Moxley used to wrestle death matches in CCW. And is one of the biggest r- names in wrestling at the moment. This is just a major shock. I never thought John Moxley would be in Game Changer Wrestling. As I thought his blood sport matches were going to be the only thing he does for Game Changer Wrestling. But it looks like we're going to get the King Nick Gage versus John Moxley in some sort of death match. And yes, this will probably bring eyeballs to Game Changer Wrestling, which is the number one independent wrestling promotion in the United States. Also, another major piece of news from Game Changer Wrestling during WrestleMania weekend, they introduced the ultra-violent title, meaning it's a title for deathmatch wrestlers. And that was... Won by Alex Colon as he defeated Lucky 13 on Planet Death. Presented by Alex Colon. To become the first Game Changer Wrestling Ultraviolent Champion. I like this move from Game Changer Wrestling. I wish there was more tag team wrestling in Game Changer Wrestling. Maybe bring back the tag team titles. Or maybe bring back the Extreme Championship too. For the technical wrestlers and the high flyers. But I like this idea of an ultra-violent title. As it's a title exclusively for deathmatch wrestlers. Be interesting to see how that title is booked. But if it's like the way they did it with the old CZW ultra-violent championship back in the day. You're going to get some really fun and crazy Deathmatches. And with that, that's the news. Welcome to Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast where the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. When you want more than review, listen to Dark Discussions. And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Just he's a robot too. Oh, I consider the possibility. Right, and that's what I like—is the fact that the writers are smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com, wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back. Last segment I talked about the change to the podcast. Now I want to go into why I'm a wrestling fan. It all started back like in the late 90s during the Attitude Era where you had Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Mick Foley, And I really loved the storytelling in the matches. It had an intense feel to them. And that's why I really started to like wrestling. Then after WWE, I discovered ECW towards the end of that promotion's run. And I was enthralled by the insanity of counter-programming as ECW was a totally different promotion from WWE. You actually got serious wrestling. You got insane hardcore matches. You also had some intense angles. That really grabbed my interest. Then when ECW, alongside WCW, went out of business at around the same time, it was just WWE, and it really felt after a while that I was going to lose interest in wrestling. Because I was just bored watching Raw every week. It's just when there's no competition... Why do you have to be creative? I thought the creativity was going. What restored me as a wrestling fan, and the reason why I'm a wrestling fan to this day, is I discovered Ring of Honor after hearing about a match where the crowd threw chairs into the ring. I believe it was B.J. Whitmer and Dan Moff versus CM Punk and A Steel. After reading about that online, I decided to pick up that DVD, and I was just amazed at the intensity of that match, plus the fans as well, as literally, they were throwing chairs during the middle of the match into the ring, which ended up in a chaotic finale where the wrestlers were wrestling in a sea of chairs inside the ring, which was The main reason why I wanted to get that DVD just to see that match. But what I also discovered with Ring of Honor is they also focus on pure in-ring action. And I'm a guy that likes to see fast-paced action. I like to see high-flying. I like to see technical submission-style wrestling. And I was also introduced to this new... Style called Strong Style, and that led me to really start to appreciate independent wrestling. As a Ring of Honor in 2003 2004 was an independent wrestling promotion, it isn't today because it's owned by Sinclair Broadcasting Company, but those matches really got me back into wrestling. Then I discovered Total Nonstop Action which did the same thing until the promotion felt like a wrestling convention where every WWE star went there and I gave up on Total Nonstop Action which is also known as Impact Wrestling as I've always been for like the last 8 9 years on again off again with Impact Wrestling whether it's known as Total nonstop Action or Impact Wrestling, it feels like I keep coming back to this promotion, especially now when they're working with All Elite Wrestling. And I am a huge All Elite Wrestling fan. I really go on my way to buy all the pay-per-views. I sit through most of their YouTube shows. Dock or dock elevation. So that's why I keep going back to Impact Wrestling for some reason. Just always never seems to want to leave my wrestling viewing landscape because literally it's just the promotion that keeps on drawing you back. I've never seen a wrestling promotion that. Would make me want to shut off the TV and never come back to wanting to see that wrestling promotion. It just happens with Impact Wrestling. And you got all the independent wrestling out there. Which is going to be probably most of the main focus on the podcast. Because I still want to keep the whole independent thing going, whether it's independent horror, or or in this case, independent wrestling, because it was those promotions that drew me to independent wrestling. And there's a couple of really good promotions that I regularly check out. The first promotion is Game Changer Wrestling. Now, this is the promotion that is just keeps on putting out Great show after great show. I just picked up their last show, Take Care. And The Collective, which is their yearly wrestling festival that takes place during WrestleMania weekend. Which is very good. I like the booking. Plus, the matches is just incredibly insane. There's death matches. There's technical matches. They have very good wrestlers over there. Like Mance Warner, Ricky Shane Page, Joey Janella, Chris Dickinson, and their heavyweight champion Nick Gage. That keep me purchasing Game Changer Wrestling events. Because that is literally the equivalent of Combat Zone Wrestling when it, it first started out. Today, Combat Zone Wrestling just plain out sucks. I can't get through a whole show. I don't know why. It's just the booking there is horrible. I can't take any more Combat Zone Wrestling's booking. So I don't watch that anymore. I used to s- subscribe to the streaming service. Don't do that anymore, neither. Because they can't put out a good product. And an independent wrestling promotion... Has to constantly put out a good product in order to succeed. If they're not putting out a good product, they're probably going to be left behind. Another promotion that I've been watching uh, that I really love a lot is Beyond Wrestling. Now this is a promotion that I started watching in 2013. When they used to run Fet Music in Providence, Rhode Island. I really loved... The first show that Beyond Wrestling ran at that building. It had Kevin Steen, which I loved at the time. It also introduced me to a lot of wrestlers, including Biff Busick, who is now known as Only Walken on NXT. Johnny Gargano, Masada. It really made me appreciate the independent style of wrestling. And I still watch Beyond Wrestling to this day. Beyond Wrestling is always going to be a wrestling promotion that stays with me. Because, first of all, it's a New England promotion. And it is pretty much the top New England promotion. Plus, I love the fact that the matches are entertaining. And the crowds are usually alive and electric. That's why I constantly continue to enjoy Beyond Wrestling. And my favorite promotion, yes, is a national wrestling promotion, All Elite Wrestling. What can I say? I'm an AEW mock. I'll admit it right now. I love All Elite Wrestling. What attracted me to All Elite Wrestling was the fact that, really, I loved the Ring of Honor version of the Bullet Club. It had uh, the Young Bucks. Cody, and Adam Page, alongside the former leader of the New Japan Bullet Club faction, Kenny Omega, I was really into that stable. I'm still into that stable today. But those five guys uh, were the main reason why I was into Bullet Club. And when they all went and kind of started AEW, even though it's owned by Tony Khan, AEW probably would not be in existence if it wasn't for Cody, the Young Bucks, and Kenny Omega. Those wrestlers are great wrestlers. I love the gimmicks. I love every time they come out. And I'm just big fans. And All Elite Wrestling has done a very good job in the last year and a half of existence. Because their booking is very good. I don't have to feel like that I'm being forced to watch a show. The talent over there is great. They have MJF, who can talk and wrestle. Dobby Allen's another great wrestler. Plus, they has some great young talent, too. Like The Acclaimed, Bear Country, Jungle Boy, Orange Cassidy. They have a great lineup. But also, they have a great tag team division. In WWE, the tag team division is non-existent, pretty much. I love tag team wrestling. It provides for some great entertainment. There are some great teams in their tag team division, like Proud and Powerful, The Dark Order... Any tag team of the dock Order, quite frankly, since they have two tag teams in there. FTR, the Lucha Bros, and so on. That tag team division is so stacked. It's probably the most stacked tag team division in wrestling today. It's also the most entertaining, too. Plus, the other thing that I like is it allows the older wrestlers to also reinvent themselves. Like, wait for it, John Moxley! Sorry, I had to do my Justin Roberts impression. Now, John Moxley, I knew from the independent scene as an out-of-control character, more like Stone Cold Steve Austin out of control but even more out of control. In WWE for the most part I didn't feel like I was getting the John Moxley character from the independent scene. I felt like I was getting a more toned down version of the character with Dean Ambrose. But since John Moxley went to AEW, it's been John Moxley being John Moxley again. And I love that. John Moxley is probably one of the best wrestlers out there, if not the best wrestler out there today. I enjoy his matches a lot. It really entertains me. And also, they have great talkers, too. Talkers that I like. You need promo guys. AEW has a ton of promo guys. They have Taz, who can cut great promos. John Moxley can cut great promos. Eddie Kingston can cut great promos. Don Callis can cut great promos. There's not a shortage of great promos in that company. And that's what makes characters work for me. WWE sure has maybe a couple good to great promos like Drew McIntyre, MVP, Edge. But... At the end of the day, what sells me to wrestling is characters. And AEW has characters. Which, quite frankly, makes me not want to miss a show. Which is rare these days for a professional wrestling company. I'll say it. I am an AEW mock. I'm proud of it. If WWE did the same thing, I'd be a WWE mock. But they don't. And half of the time, I can't even watch their shows. Because it's so long. Or feels so long. Like, let's say, three hours of Raw. Three and a half hours pay-per-views every month. That's too much. Two hours of SmackDown. Just too much. And there's not many characters I care about. So that's why I'm an AEW, Mark. And AEW just continues... To remind me why I love wrestling in the first place. Hey guys, this is Stephen Christina. I'm the founder, owner, creator, and host of Super Retro Throwback Reviews. Are you looking for the best movie reviews, music reviews, video game reviews, and Comic-Con coverage all around? Well, then look no further. Definitely check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on YouTube and our new audio podcast, the new and improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Files version 2.0 on the following media distributors, Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. Class is over, John! something new and Every day, there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer, and they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scares That Care is a 100% volunteer organization. In 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scares That Care, you can go to www.scaresthatcare.org. Every donation helps Scares That Care fight real monsters. Welcome back to Anthony T's Horror Show. I'm here to do a new segment called The List of Anthony T. Now, this is a segment where I'm going to count down my f- top five favorites, whether it's in wrestling or in horror. This is a top five list, which will be kind of a recurring thing when I don't have an interview on the podcast. The first list is the top five underrated films released by Full Moon Features. Now, Full Moon Features has been a company that i loved since I was a teenager. Whether it's seeing it on television when they actually aired Full Moon films on television, that did happen in the 90s during the direct-to-video boom. Full Moon Features regularly have their films on television, mostly because they had a distribution deal at the time with Paramount. It was something that really got me into horror in general. And to this day, I still love Child's Band and the work that he does with Full Moon Features. Some of these films you can find at fullmoondirect.com. Some of these films can be streamed on Amazon Prime. And some of these films can be streamed on Full Moon streaming service, Full Moon Features. With that said, here are my top five underrated films from Full Moon Features. We start off this list at number five with Dead and Rotting. Now this is a film that goes pretty much unnoticed in the Full Moon library, but I really thought that was a very good film. It was directed by David Botten. He was primarily a special effects makeup artist. He worked on films such as 300, Starship Troopers, Nemesis, Puppet Master 2 and 3, and countless other films. This was his only directorial film, as he was primarily a makeup artist. But this was a very good film. I enjoyed Dead and Rotting a lot. Now, this is a film that's kind of a rural, gothic horror film. And sometimes these rural and southern gothic horror films they have a tendency to be boring lifeless but Dinner rotten was not that type of film as david barton's direction on the film was very good he does a great job with the way he directs his cast and the action in the film as it was something that kept my interest throughout he also gets a very good performance out of Debbie Rashan as this film is probably her best villainous performance of her career. As she really plays the villain in this film very good. The screenplay written by him and Douglas Snaffer, if I'm pronouncing his name last name right, if I'm not, I apologize, was very good. I like the fact that the screenplay does a very good job balancing all of the supernatural aspects. It provides some very dark... And intense scenes. I also like the fact that the screenplay does a good job with the way it handles the action in this film. As it builds up towards a final climax. Which works very well with the whole story of this film. It's a very fun film. Definitely an underrated film from the Full Moon Features catalog. As this clearly does not get a lot of love by Full Moon Features. It's not even on their streaming service. And the film was also shot in Ohio, making it one of the few Full Moon Features films not to be shot in either Italy, Romania, or California. Dead and Rotting is a very excellent low-budget horror film that people should check out as it has very good performances and the fact that it really has good action. You can only find this film, to my knowledge, on Amazon Prime, because I cannot find this film anywhere else. It's not on FullmoonDirect.com, so it's kind of hard to find this film, but I know Amazon Prime has this film for streaming. I don't know if there's a DVD out there of this film, so definitely try to check this film out out if you're into very good low budget micro budget horror as dead and rotting is a creepy gothic supernatural film that frightens you number four witch house three demon fire yes is another collaboration with full moon and Tempe entertainment and yes it's another film that stars Debbie Rashan. Now, Witch House 3 Demon Fire had no business of being good. First, this film was shot in Los Angeles. The other two Witch House films were shot in Romania. Second, the film does not take place in the original Witch House in which the first two films take place. Instead, it takes place at... What looks like to be a beach house. And third, the original idea for Witch House 3 was to repackage a film and just call it Witch House 3. Meaning, the producer would buy a film, work on maybe adding more effects or a better look to the film, and just title it Witch House 3, which is terms for lazy filmmaking. But thankfully Charles Band did not go down this route because quite frankly if he went down that route it's probably going to be a bad film literally because it would make no sense with the first two Witch House films and it would not have Lilith in the film meaning it would made no sense with the first two films whatsoever. With having Lilith in the film, at least there's some connection from the first two Witch House films. But thankfully, Charles Band did not go down that route. And instead, we get a very underrated Full Moon film out of this. Which it had no business of being in the first place. But it really helped that it had J.R. Brookwater directing this film. Because literally, he's done a lot of good films. Ozone, Witch House 2, Polymorph, and more. So, when the final product for Witch House 3 came out, I was surprised it was very good. Given the fact that I knew about the history of the film through the DVD insert that was in the Witch House 3 DVD when it was released by Retro Media all these years ago. So literally it's a very good film. One of the things J.R. Brookwater does very well is to make sure that his direction is good and keep the action moving. This film moves by for a 72 minute film. He does a great job making sure that he gets a very good performance's from his cast. And this cast is very good in this film. As this film stars Debbie Rishon. Tanya Dempsey. And Tina Krause. All of them were the direct to video. Scream Queens. From the late 90's early 2000's. And each of these actresses. Was very good in this film. It also helps that this film also. Features Brink Stevens. As Lilla. She Does a very good job with the character as this character is very creepy and very gothic. Maybe even more frightening than the first two Witch House films in terms of look. The film also has a very good screenplay by Brookwater and Matthew Jason Welch, as they do a great job making sure that the characters have depth which made the characters very interesting. I like how this film has a couple of good frightening scenes in it. And I like how the story also has a nice twist that really makes this film very good and very different from the two original Witch House films. Sadly, this was the last Witch House film as they haven't released another Witch House film since. But if I had to rank the Witch House films This would probably be my second favorite of the Witch House films. Witch House 2 Blood Covenant is my favorite out of all three Witch House films. But then you had Witch House 3 Demon Fire, which is my second favorite in the series. And the original Witch House is the worst of the three Witch House films. Which is very rare. Because seriously, when you think of horror trilogies or horror franchises, you never think the first film would be the worst film in that franchise. But for the Witch House franchise, clearly the first one was the worst film out of the three. As I loved Blood Coven and I loved Demon Fire, I did not like the first Witch House film. So definitely check out Witch House 3 Demon Fire, which is currently available at Full Moon Direct. Let's move on to number three on this list. Arcade. This is the only paramount full moon error film on this list. This is a film that is so underrated. This film has not been on Blu-ray. I don't know why. Maybe it has to do with the logistics of this film as some of this film was shot on video for the computer CGI scenes. As that more of like a CGI shot on video feel to it. But this is a very underrated Full Moon feature film. First of all, Arcade has a long list of notable people, whether it's from the horror world or mainstream. The film is directed by cult filmmaker Albert Pune, who's most known for the Nemesis films and Dollman. The film stars Megan Ward from Transits 2 and 3 and Crash and Burn. A couple of Full Moon classics. It also stars Peter Billingsley from, yes, A Christmas Story. Yes, he did play Ralphie in A Christmas Story. If you have not seen A Christmas Story, you need to see that film. This film also has John DeLancey. Who's most notable for Q on Star Trek Next Generation and possibly probably one of the greatest Star Trek films ever? Seth Green, who was on shows such as Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Robot Chicken. The film has an haunting score from Alan Howard, who did the scores for Halloween's 4, 5, and The Curse of Michael Myers. And you have the screenplay written by David S. Goyer. Pretty much a very well-known screenwriter. He's written such films as Batman Begins. The original Blade Trilogy starring Wesley Snipes. And quite possibly my favorite science fiction film of all time, Dark City. If you're a sci-fi fan, definitely check this film out. It is a great film. And one of the... Best science fiction films ever made. Definitely worth checking out if you're into science fiction, as that is just a great film, Doc City. But back to Arcade here. One of the reasons why this film is so underrated, I think, is... I just don't think this film got a lot of love when it came out. It's pretty much obscure now, as I feel it's in the category of films such as Netherworld... In Shadow Zone during the Paramount Era of Full Moon Features. Why I like this film a lot, I thought Albert Pune's direction here was very good. He does a very good job making sure the cast has chemistry with each other. He also does a great job directing the scenes in this film. Because seriously, including the final 20 minutes of this film, as it really kept my attention... It kept my attention back in 1993-94, it still does today, plus it film has a very good screenplay from David Goyer. I like how the fact that he makes his lead character sort of troubled, dealing with her past, while also having to deal with a game that's obsessed with her, the film was really ahead of its time, seriously. Because if this film was made 10 years later, I think this would look better today. It looked great when it first came out, but when you look at it today, you can tell this film does not age well with the look of the film and the computer effects. But still, I still enjoy this film. And it's really one of my favorite Full Moon Features films. I'm surprised that this film does not get a lot of love from Full Moon Fanatics. Definitely check this film out on Full Moon Streaming because it's really a good film. Plus, you get to see a lot of talented actors in this film. Number 2 and Number 1 were very tough to choose because I really think both of those films are very underrated and quite frankly the top two most underrated films in the full moon features library. It was tough but my number two most underrated full moon features film is Trophy Heads. Trophy Heads is a film that I really consider to be one of Charles Band's best films, period, along the lines of such films as Blood Dolls and Transers, and Transers 2. Trophy Heads is pretty much a very different type of film for Charles Band, as he's usually more known for directing films that have either dolls inanimate objects, or things that really are weird. Trophy Edge really is a departure from all those films, as this literally plays out like a straight horror film. About a guy, along with help from his mother, kidnaps Scream Queens. Yes, actual Scream Queens here. And forces them to reenact their most iconic full moon scenes. It's a very creepy film. As Chow's band- Does a really great job making sure everything works well together. As he really does, I think, one of his best directing jobs, period. As he really gets great performances out of his cast. And made sure they had chemistry with each other. And you get that because, well, you're using actual Scream Queens playing themselves. And this is a really good lineup here. As the film stars Linnea Quigley, Michelle Bauer, Brink Stevens, Denise Duff, Jacqueline Lovell, and Darcy DeMorse. That casting, you would think this would be some sort of convention type film where a bunch of names get thrown in there for a couple minutes and that's it. Not with this film because this film is just very good. Each of the actresses have their moment to shine in the film. I also liked the fact that this film really does a very good job making sure it has a good story. As I thought the screenplay for this film was very good. As it really makes you forget all these actresses are in this film. Because films like Trophy Heads where you're just seeing the film... Because, well, this certain actress is in there. That certain actress is also in there. Might as well see the film. Trophy Heads, from the get-go, looked like it was going to be something special, in my view. Because, personally, this film did not feel like a convention film. This film has great performances. I thought Linnea Quigley, Brink Stevens, Denise Duff, Michelle Bauer, Jacqueline Lavelle were great in their roles. I also like the fact that Adam Noble Roberts and Marie Olsen were also very good in this film, as this is a film where the acting really helped this film. It also had a very good story to go with it, too. Plus, the film also has a very good haunting score by Richard Bean, who always seems to do very good scores for these Full Moon films and other films as well. But this is definitely, I think, one of my favorite of his because I love the airy main theme for Trophy Heads. It really gives you this airy, dark vibe that persists throughout the whole film. This is also more of a psychological horror too because it's dealing with obsession. If all that wasn't enough, this film also has cameos from David Decoto and the late Stuart Gordon. Definitely check out Trophy Heads. It's really one of the best Full Moon films to come out in the last 10 years or so, as this film really is one of Full Moon Feature's best films out of the the post-Paramount era, by far. I could put that one on the list, definitely, with the likes of Castle Freak, Witch House 2 Blood Coven, and the next film that I'm about ready to get to, which is my number one most underrated Full Moon Features release. Number one on my top five full moon films that are underrated is The Dead Hate the Living. Now, The Dead Hate the Living isn't the typical full moon features film. First of all, Charles Band had no say in the story as the story was created by director Dave Parker and writer Paul Salomov. Second, this is a zombie film. There aren't many Full Moon feature zombie films that aren't trancers. We're talking like full-fledged zombie films, not sci-fi zombie films. As I can only think of maybe one or two in the Full Moon catalog off the top of my head. I think Prison of the Dead was one and Zombies vs. Strippers as the other film to feature zombies. So zombies have not been a major focus over at Full Moon Features. I don't count transers because, well, it's just sci-fi. It's not the typical zombies that we are accustomed to seeing. More along the long lines of Dawn of the Dead type zombies. Now this film is very different. As I think it's one of the most unique films in Full Moon's catalog of films. And the reason for it is... The fact that this film is a cross between a homage to Italian horror films, as you get references of Italian horror in this film, and an indie cult film called Living in Oblivion, where the film is about indie filmmaking that goes wrong in a day. It's a great indie comedy with Steve Buscemi in it, as it had those vibes of of it in this film where they're struggling to get a movie done and things go wrong but in the case of the dead hate the living it's not comedy it's just pure horror one of the reasons why i really love this film among all the other underrated full moon features films is the fact that this film has a very good screenplay I like the fact that this film does a very good job in setting a lot of things. The characters. I like how they set up the villain in this film. I like how it has backstory. Plus, this film also has good performances that keep you interested. Especially the guy who plays the villain in the film. Because, literally, that's probably the best performance out of that film. Because you need a good villain in order for something off-kilter like this... As this is a mixed mash of punk, rock, and horror. So it's not taking itself seriously, which is good. But I really loved this film a lot. It's still very good to this day. I cannot understand why this film is not up in the upper echelon of full moon feature films. Because this has great action, interesting characters, and it's a fun film to watch. It's probably one of my favorite post-Paramount films besides Castle Freak, Blood Dolls, and Trophy Heads. It's a very fun film. It's directed by Dave Parker, who is well known for the direct-to-video classic The Hills Are Red, which got a Scream Factory Blu-ray released last year. He also directed a segment in the Halloween anthology film Tales of Halloween called Sweet Tooth. And most recently, he's been editing mostly reality TV shows, including a paranormal reality TV show that's currently on the air called Portals to Hell with Jack Osborne. If you don't know who Jack Osborne is, he's the son of legendary rocker Ozzy Osborne. Definitely check out The Dead Hate the Living on Full Moon Streaming. Because this is a great film. It is punk, rock, and horror at its best. And it's a very good zombie film for the limited budget that it was made for. So definitely check it out if you're a fan of zombie films. Because it is very good. As it's a gore fest. And that wraps up my five favorite underrated Films from Full Moon Features. They're coming to get you, Barbara. This is Carrie. This is Billy. This is Mr. Bo. And we are from a podcast from beneath. You can catch us every Wednesday wherever you find your favorite podcast. You'll find Anthony T's power and wrestling show on these social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and the app at AmphiteaseHour and Wrestling, and on Twitter at AmphiteaseHour. You'll find new episodes on DocDiscussions.com, major podcast providers, and YouTube. What's Anthony T. watching? Well, yours truly has decided to watch Godzilla vs. Kong since I got HBO Max for free with a cable subscription. That's right, even though I did not like Godzilla King of the Monsters, yours truly has decided since I don't have to pay a dime, I will give Godzilla another chance and the team at WB another chance to make a Godzilla film that is good, with their latest Godzilla entry, Godzilla vs. Kong. Now, before I go into this review, I just want to let everyone know that I'm going to probably be talking about spoilers, so I'm putting up a spoiler alert here. If you haven't seen Godzilla vs. Kong, then... I want to say thank you for listening to this edition of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. Because I really need to talk about Godzilla vs. Kong. And I'm going to talk about spoilers here. So, with that said, Godzilla vs. Kong felt like Godzilla vs. Kong vs. Mysterious Entity. Why the hell... Do I have to sit there and continue to watch these Godzilla films when you're always going to have a third party involved? Godzilla versus Kong should have been simple. Godzilla versus Kong maybe have a few human characters. That's about it. That's how you make a good Godzilla movie. Instead, we got Godzilla versus Kong versus Evil Corporation. What the hell? In Godzilla King of the Monsters, you had eco-terrorists that were wrecking the film. In Godzilla vs. Kong, you have an evil corporation trying to use technology. It's like, what is it with these Godzilla films? In Godzilla King of the Monsters, we were preaching about the ecosystem, and the environment. In this film, we're preaching the dangers of a huge corporation and technology itself. I really don't get why Warner Brothers doesn't decide to make a monster film. Godzilla vs. Kong. It's easy to do. You have Godzilla fight Kong. And you have a few human characters. That's all you need. Movie would be good. I'd enjoy it. I don't need to have to worry about subplots that get in the way of what the film is supposed to be about. And they just continue to do this with the Godzilla franchise. We need to preach about something in a Godzilla film. What is this? I want to see a old school fight Between monsters. Not monsters, fighting monsters, fighting a third party. Because that's what this screenplay felt like. Like Godzilla King of the Monsters, the screenplay had a full of one-dimensional characters. They don't give you any time to even care about these characters. It's like, here's the characters in the film... Let's just get to the action. That's what it really felt like. I don't get who is allowing these screenplays to be produced at Warner Brothers. Because seriously, they have not done any good Godzilla films since maybe the first one. At least the first one had a more serious tone and characters that are developed. The of Godzilla films felt like we need to add more elements to it. We can't just have Godzilla fighting monsters. We need to have a third entity involved. It's like the same formula that was used in Godzilla King of the Monsters was basically used here. I do not want to see that. I just want to see Godzilla versus Kong, not 10 million other monsters as well. I really don't get what is going on with Warner Brothers. Seriously. Also, I don't like the fact that the character is one-dimensional. I mentioned it earlier, and I really think the screenwriters really don't care about characters. They just want to rush to the fight scenes. You cannot have a story if you're going to have... A story comprised of fight scenes. That's all this film felt like. Even though they were good or like King of the Monsters, that's not going to win much points with me. I'm sorry. i like to see a well-rounded film. And like fellow horror director Michael Doherty, horror director Adam Wingard does not do a good job with directing this film. And I think most of it had to do with the stupid screenplay. Seriously, it doesn't allow its characters to be more than just one-dimensional. When you have one-dimensional characters like this film has, you're not interested in the characters. He does the fight scenes well, but you can't have a film with just fight scenes. If you have a film with just fight scenes, there is no story or no cohesive story. And speaking of the story, I don't like the fact that we had two subplots throughout the whole film. You had the Godzilla side subplot. With Millie Bobby Brown's character from Godzilla King of the Monsters trying to prove that Godzilla isn't bad. That this corporation is somehow causing Godzilla to act this way. If I wanted to see that, why just make a solo Godzilla film? Seriously, I did not want to see that as part of Godzilla vs. King Kong, as that whole subplot felt like a solo Godzilla film. That would have probably been better. But no, we need to have a Kong subplot. The one with Alexander Saskod and Rebecca Hall's characters in the film, who were, felt like they were just abruptly put in ...to the story. You got no real reason why these characters come from... ...as they, like, abruptly come into the story. It's like, you get maybe a few background tidbits. That's about it. But it's just, I did not care for those characters. Like, on the Godzilla side, I didn't care about any of those characters. It's like, they don't care about making basic, good characters... In these Godzilla films. And this is the second Godzilla film where the characters feel like they're just part of the background. It's like, that's what it felt like. Literally. All the human characters in the film felt like they're like a subplot. in background. To the main attraction, Godzilla vs. Kong. Quite frankly, this film did not need a third entity or a villain in this film. A straight up Godzilla vs. Kong film would have been fun. It would have been interesting, and maybe you had more time to develop human characters. But instead, we have to have a Godzilla versus Kong versus a main villain. Why? Look at Freddy versus Jason. You got you didn't get no third party villain jumping in the fray, as you got Freddy versus Jason versus the human characters. I could understand that three-way because. It's a horror slasher film, and they did not try to inject an evil corporation into the film. Instead, it was a very basic film. Two slasher's going at it while the human's trying to survive. Why couldn't Godzilla vs. Kong do that? Instead, we have to inject a third party to be the main villain of this film. I just don't get it. It was a simple premise. Godzilla versus Kong. I don't need to see Godzilla versus Kong versus a third party because that's the film I got. And the two main subplots didn't help matters neither. You should've stick to one main subplot with one group of people. That's it. Not have two groups of people plus Godzilla versus Kong versus an evil corporation, because that's what this film felt like, and this why this film is so bad, quite frankly. Besides the action in this film, which is better than Godzilla King of the Monsters, this film ends up being like Godzilla King of the Monsters. Just awful. I just don't get why we cannot have a simple Godzilla versus Kong film? That is so basic. But the screenwriters also had to add everything else in, plus to make this film feel like a Hollywood spectacular instead of having a basic monster v. monster film. Because there was no need for a third party in this film. Seriously. I don't need villains that are just so annoying. I don't need characters that are only one note characters. I'm sorry. This is another failed attempt at making a Godzilla film. I just don't get Warner Brothers. Seriously. They had a basic premise. Godzilla versus Kong. Instead, we have to add everything else in at the expense of what this film was supposed to be. Godzilla Versus Kong. I'm sorry, I cannot recommend this film. This is another bad Godzilla film, and it's probably will be up on the year end award show again because, well, this was just flat out horrible. Thankfully, I got to see this free with my cable subscription to HBO because if I had to pay to see this film at a theater, I would have been angry again like I did after I watched Godzilla, King of the Monsters. As they really have to rethink their Godzilla plans. Because seriously, they're just making monster movies and not caring about the story. Seriously, now you can question it with the last two Godzilla films. Does Warner Bros. even care? Are they just throwing popcorn entertainment at the screen? As that's what I felt at the end Of Godzilla vs. Kong. On Anthony T's horror and wrestling show on YouTube. Yours truly is about ready to finish that Black Friday video. That's been sitting there for months. I do apologize. Just with everything going on personally in my life. I decided to take a little step back. Now I'm going to go back to finishing that video which should be up in the next week or so. I also have another interview to keep an eye on for DocDiscussions.com. That will be out within the next week or two. With that, I want to thank you for listening to my revamped podcast and the Sauer and Wrestling Show. Please subscribe on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other major podcast providers if you liked it this show. Thank you for listening to the show. Have a good day and support indie horror and indie wrestling.